We're going to jump right in uh, today because uh, there's, there's a lot to cover. And um, uh, um, my name is Sean, by the way. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. And two months ago, we sent out a survey to everybody who was a regular attender at Grace Church. And we asked, what do you want us to talk about? What are the questions? What are the burning questions? That, right, what are the questions that are burning a hole in your heart? What, what needs to be addressed? What information do you need that would help you in your relationship with God? And you guys sent in over 350 questions. Uh, there were like five questions about aliens, so today we're talking about ET. Oh, we're not, I'm just kidding. Uh, 200, almost like, I don't know if it's 200. Close. Almost half. Like, so take all the other questions and combine, and it was about as enough as what we're asking on just one other topic, and that is gender, identity, and sexuality. By far. Like, like second wasn't even close. It was like way down on the list. So that's too big of a topic to talk about. And I mean, there were all different versions of questions that dealt with the exact same thing, but it all falls under identity, gender, and, and sexuality. Last week, uh, we dealt with identity and, and gender. And this week, we're talking about, uh, talking about sexuality. And uh, if you think this is awkward for you, I promise it's way more awkward for me. Uh, I didn't know, if this is your first time here at this church, you're like, wow, you're going deep on my first Sunday, uh, and I didn't know you're going to be doing this, and truthfully, until four weeks ago, I didn't know I was going to be doing this either, but this is what you've asked us uh, to share, so what I want to do is I want to share what the Bible has to say. Uh, I had a friend of mine say, if you baby Christians, you get baby Christians, so we're going to shoot straight, and, um, um, but it's an adult theme. Uh, I won't be explicit in any way. I won't be explicit. Uh, but the first disclaimer needs to be that if you have a child that is elementary age or below, uh, this probably isn't uh, the service for them at all. Uh, because I don't want to introduce themes and topics that will then cause your kids to ask questions that they weren't already being uh, inquisitive about. So I don't want to introduce themes into your family at a time when your child is not ready. So if you have a kid fifth grade and under, it'd probably be best, especially in this service, to go ahead and take them into uh, one of the Grace Kids classes. If you have a kid middle school or above, they're already talking about this anyway, so we should get a biblical perspective. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So we're cool on, on that. Uh, so last week we talked about gender and identity. I, last night I took too much time recapping. I'm not going to recap. Uh, before COVID, the average church attender would go to church once every four weeks. After COVID, the average church attender is once every seven weeks. So what that means is 50% of you were not here last weekend. Uh, so there's that part in me as a public speaker that wants to catch you guys up because we're already on the highway going 80 miles an hour and you're starting at the exit. So I want to give you an on-ramp, right? That way you don't get whiplash. Uh, but you can go online and get that we just don't have time, so buckle up. Uh, whiplash is about, I don't know, we're just, we're just going to get going is what we're going to do. Now, the theme for this, this uh, truthfully, I think the theme for every Christian's life ought to be Romans chapter 12, verse 1, or at least it needs to enter into your thinking as it relates to the choices that you make with all of who you are. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, uh, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. That's like, I'm begging you. Dear. It's not like, beg, it's like, like, not from a needy position, but it's like, I am strongly to the best of my ability, urging you with all that is in me, dear God, for your sake, please, right? Like, that's what plead means. Like, I'm, please, dang it, please do this. Oh, my word, please. 
Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Now, those of us who are Christians and have a biblical worldview, we know that who you are, personhood, is a part of all of this. It's not just in here and then your outside is just a shell. You can do with it whatever you want. I'm created whole, like body, soul, and mind. Like all of this is a gift to me from God. So we have two biases, two assumptions that we make as Christians. The first is that there is a creator, and the second is that we're accountable to him. Now this is rational to me. You didn't come up with the idea of you. You didn't choose to be born. Nobody in here chose to be born. And truthfully, your mom and dad didn't even choose for you to be born. Now they chose to be together, but they didn't know that time that they were together that you would be the result of that. They didn't. But the Bible says that the boundaries of your habitation, that's the the area where you live, and the time in which you dwell, which is the time in which you live, was established by God before he laid the foundations of the world, which means that before God said, let there be light, you were an idea in his heart. You're not an accident. You didn't choose to be born, and you're not going to choose the day that you die with one exception. Everything about you is borrowed. God gave you your life, and when you hit the expiration date, he takes it back. And whatever you did with everything he gave you, you will be an account, you'll give an account for. Everything about you is borrowed. You didn't choose your personality, did you? You didn't choose your IQ. You didn't choose your natural physical giftedness. Now, you might have adapted strengths because you put in the work. But the Bible says to those of us who would say, by my own hands have I created the success of my life, the Bible says, who gave you those hands by which you created your success? Like everything about me is borrowed And everything I am is only because I've leveraged something that I got from God. Like everything about me is his. And I'm accountable to him for what I do with all of this, right? So those are the two biases that we come to. So Paul says, in light of this, I'm I'm, I'm begging you, give your body, your whole self to God. That's what he says. Give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. What has God done for you? On top of everything else that I've already mentioned, He also gave his body for you on the cross. So God's never asked you to do something that he didn't go first on. Like that's leadership. It's going first, right? And then just, and I'm asking you to follow that example. So that's all he does. Give give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them, your body, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. That is truly the way to worship God. That's, that's, I've been married for 32 years. And there have been seasons in our marriage where I did not want to be married any longer. Uh, There were seasons in my marriage where I was 100% convinced I married the wrong girl, which I know is crazy, especially if you know my wife. Um, But it was, I just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't feeling it. She wasn't feeling it. And it was a dry season in our marriage. Oh, y'all know what I was talking about? See, I'm good, right? Look at that, us talking in code together, (laughs) right? But I got needs, urges, and while it's dry here, I can see rain everywhere, right? But when I choose, when I choose to stay faithful to my covenant relationship with my wife out of devotion to God, God goes, that's worship, why? Because you're prioritizing me and what I want for you more than what you even want for you. You've not made yourself God. You still recognize me as God. 
even when things aren't going your way. And God goes, boy, that makes me proud. Like that's, that's worship. Not just you singing songs. When you prioritize me over everything, even your own sexual expression, God goes, bro, that's when you give your body for me and what I want for you, that's the truest form of worship. Good job. That's, that's the theme for hopefully every area of your life. And this week we're talking about something that everybody struggles with and that's our sexuality. There are verses in the Bible that talk about us resisting sin. There's a verse that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's another verse that says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to withstand the fiery darts of hell, which are the temptations. But when it comes to sexuality, God goes, run. I'll show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. What does it say to do? What's the first word? Run. Not like, I can resist this. No, no, this sin's gonna kick your butt. Don't resist this one. Ain't no armor. You see this temptation, you drop your butt and run. Run, get out of there. Get out of there. Uh, her mom and dad's only gonna be the store for 30 minutes. We're fine. We're gonna be by myself in the basement for only 45 minutes. We're fine. Guy's like, you're a fool, man. Drop your butt and run. Drop your butt and run. You can't. This is the one sin. God says, you can't fight like, I'm not going to tell you how to resist this. You need to avoid this one like the stinking plague. Because this will ruin you. And some of us have been ruined more than once on this one. Uh, what is sexual sin? It says, flee sexual sin. Uh, what is sexual sin? Sexual sin is any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman, according to the Bible. So heterosexual activity, homosexual activity, adultery, uh, premarital sexual activity, third base. You guys are like, ah, oh. Now I know who's been on third base. Right? It's any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Hetero, homo, adultery, premarital, the bases, even lust, Jesus said. You know lust. Right? Then you look again, head to toe. That's, that's sexual sin. What that means is that everybody in here has sinned sexually. We've all committed sexual sin. Regardless of your flavor of sexual sin, everybody in here has sinned sexually. I'll demonstrate it to you, so take the tension out of the room. If you've ever committed any type of sexual sin, even in lusting over somebody else, put your hand up and my hand goes up with you. Anybody, all right, keep your hand up. Everybody whose hand is up is a sinner, and everybody whose hand is down is a liar. Are we good? Everybody okay? A little checking in here. Everybody good? All right. Awesome. Uh, we're all guilty. 
Every single person in this room has committed sexual sin. <laughs> Unless you still got a little kid in here that you didn't take to the kids' class. <laughs> and I need to give one more disclaimer. I feel that as a culture, we've lost the ability to be gracious. Would you agree? And probably because of the politics, we've become more polarized. And if somebody doesn't co-sign everything about me, they're my enemy. What? I think it's, that'd be like me saying, are you a Christian or are you a devil worshiper? Like, whoa, I don't think those are the only two options. Do you affirm all of my sexual expressions or are you a bigot? What? I don't, I'd rather have a living than a dead. What? Like, like I, don't, I don't know that those are the only two options in this conversation. I'm not so insecure that I can't be friends with somebody who disagrees with me. So, and I'm okay. There's gonna be people who walk out of this. Listen, I know every single weekend at Grace Church, there's a good percentage of people that aren't Christians. Yet, we're working on you. <laughs> you just got, you're just spiritually curious and you got questions. I think this is the best place for you. You know why? Because we're not gonna give you any shade for that. Like I'd ask, man, ask. This is one of the questions you asked. So we're talking, like there's nothing you're gonna ask that we're, not, we're gonna be afraid to talk about, right? You got questions, like, well, let's talk. And, and if you disagree, okay, you can be wrong. <laughs> and that's true, everybody in here thinks they're right about everything. If you thought you were wrong, you'd change your mind. You haven't changed your mind, because you're right. Right? Right, me too. And we can still be friends. Uh, I'm, I'm, some of you guys are right wing, like you are so tea party, you got an ammo dump in your basement. Arsenal and everything. Others of you are so far left, I, I think you got hammer and sickle flags in your basement. And I'm friends with both of y'all on Facebook. And I know y'all ain't friends with each other because I see you talking here. Right? Like we can, we can be all over the, like, I'm okay with you, okay? And, and the reason why, I can still, I can't affirm half the crap I do. You know what I mean? So I can't affirm everything everybody does. I can't even affirm everything I do. Everybody in this room is broken. I'm not gonna affirm my own brokenness. I need to work on this junk, right? Now my job ain't fixing you though. My job is fixing me, right? Now, if you're gonna ask me what I believe the Bible says is what we talked about last week, I need to be able to give you a biblical answer, but then Peter says, but when you do this, do this with gentleness and respect. And if you can't give a biblical perspective on tough issues with gentleness and respect, Peter would say, then keep your stinking mouth shut in the name of Jesus if you can't be kind. Because Jesus was kind. He didn't hide from truth, but he didn't beat people in the face with it. Right? Oh my gosh. Like we can still walk out of here and be on opposite page on this issue and still be okay with each other. Jesus had a guy walked up to him and said, um, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, and he goes, no thanks. And the dude walked away. And Jesus beat the crap out of him. No, Jesus didn't do anything like that at all. <laughs> That's my point, though. He let the guy, 
He let the guy, he didn't argue. He said, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Wasn't any of that. I'll, I'll send you a link on Facebook to a YouTube video you need to watch. <laughs> oh, we all got that friend. Right? Please, don't nobody send me no YouTube links. Um, Jesus didn't do that. He, he let the guy disagree with him. I can let you, if Jesus can let people disagree with him, I can let you disagree with me. We cool? All right. You're asking what the Bible has to say about this, so let's see what the Bible has to say about this. But before we answer that question, I think the first thing I want to ask is, why does God even care who I sleep with? Why does he even care? I don't think God cares where my gym membership is. I don't think God cares that I was secretly rooting against Deion Sanders last night. I don't think God, oh, I'm sorry. Somehow you can talk about sexuality, don't talk about Deion Sanders. Um, right, but I've, my son is all huge Colorado. He was born in Denver, so he's all like, you know, buffs, buffs, right? Uh, anyway, they, uh, doesn't matter. My point is, I don't think God cares about some of that stuff. You know, people say, God really helped me win this football game. I was like, ah. And I got up in heaven and was going, I don't know, angels, quick, rig this game so heaven can be okay. Um, so why does he care about who I sleep with? Why is that any of God's business? I don't think he cares if I wore jeans or shorts. Why does he care about who I sleep with? I think that's a good question. And I think the answer is found in Ephesians chapter five. If you got your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter five. Verse 15, so be careful how you live. It's the first thing out of his mouth, be careful how you live. Why do you say that? Because he's writing to the church of Ephesus, which is in the capital for the worship of the Greek goddess Diana, fertility goddess, and part of their worship to this Greek god was sexual immorality. So rampant sexual deviancy was a part of their culture. I don't think things are a whole lot different. So then those who had committed to faith, who are now following the ways of Jesus, Paul says, listen, I'm talking to you guys, so that's who I'm talking to. Those of you who've chosen to become followers of Jesus, he says, you need to be careful with how you live. Don't live like fools, live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but seek to understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I think that's where we might take different paths. When it comes to everybody in here having sinned sexually, we're all on the same page. We might be in a different lane, but we're all on that same highway. But when it comes to, do you want to do what God wants you to do or not? That's, I think, where some of us take the exit. No, I don't really care what God wants me to do. Okay, and God has given you that freedom. Uh, but there are those of us in here who do care, right? Uh, like in my marriage, when it ain't raining, and I'm still choosing to be faithful, it's because I'm considering what God would want me to do. Are you with me? So there are those of us who honestly, that, that's the desire of our heart. I want to know what God wants me to do. And Paul says, those are the people I'm talking to. Keep reading down in verse 22. And further, submit to one another, he says, out of reverence for Christ. So what Paul does, and I just skipped five verses. Paul says, I want you to consider what God wants you to do. The five verses I skipped talking about uh, controlled substances and that kind of stuff, and that's, a, that's not the topic of the sermon, so I felt okay skipping those five verses because that's sideways energy. We're gonna go straight to what our topic is, which he addresses next, which is our sexual expression. 
And he's specifically talking uh, to, to uh, married people, men and women, and their sexuality with each other. And he starts off the subject, and, they, and then he talks to women specifically, and then he talks to men specifically. But before he talks to the women and before he talks to the men, he talks to both of them as married couples, and he says, you need to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, the word submission here in the West has no good connotation to it. If you're a wrestler and you submit, that means they won, you lost. Like, there's no good use of the word submit in our culture. Every use of the word submit means you lose. So when, it, when the Bible says submit, everybody here has a negative reaction to that. But submit simply means to defer. If you've had a boss that came in and said, hey, this is what we're going to do, and you go, can I ask a question? And he says, sure. And you say, what about this, this, and this? And they go, oh, I didn't think about that. Do you have any ideas? And you say, yeah, I think we ought to do this and this and this. And boss goes, never mind. Let's do that. That's submission. Do you think less of your boss because he did that? Yes or no? Or she did that? Yes or no? No, you actually gain respect for them. Truthfully, they're only able to do that because they're not insecure. Because they do have a healthy self-identity. They have a measure of emotional health and the capacity to be self-aware. Like it takes a healthy and strong person to be able to defer. By the way, submission isn't anything that can be taken. It can only be given. You don't take submission. That's abuse. Submission can only be offered. And what Paul says is, I am to offer deference to my wife and she is to offer deference to me. Not because I'm worthy. She doesn't do this out of reverence for Sean, and I don't do this out of reverence for Billy Jane. So when our marriage wasn't healthy, I still had to make a conscious choice to defer to her, offer her my deference, and I would do that out of reverence for God, who I've given my whole body, heart, soul, and mind to worship. So out of my devotion to God and my commitment to offer him my body, I willingly offer deference to my wife. A marriage that does not offer deference one to the other is a marriage that is not healthy. And that's when my wife and I have always gotten sideways is when we started keeping track of how many times I'm deferring and she's not deferring as much as I'm deferring. So I'm gonna stop deferring until she feels the goodness of my deference. And then she realizes that she ain't been deferring as much as I have then maybe she'll defer. I'm way off. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? That's unhealthy. It's just generosity. It's what it is. It's, and it's not, it's, not, it's not a debt. Like, when you start keeping score, now your goodness is payment. I have to be good to you because you are nice to me. Oh, that's, that's not going anywhere. That, that marriage won't last either. That one won't work. So Paul, right out the gate, says this only works if you're willing to give even if they don't give back. Now, truthfully, that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? Like he walked into the restaurant with a black card, no limits at all. It's above a platinum. I can pay for anybody in here. Now, the only people who get their bill paid are the ones who bring him their receipt. But I'm just saying, he's got enough, right? So his is enough. Like, I can pay for everybody in here. It's available to everybody, even if they choose to reject it. It's constantly giving. And then he says, wives, this submission, here's what it looks like for you. 
guys, this submission, here's what it looks like for you. And that's what he does next. For wives, this means what means? To defer to your husband. You are to defer to your husband. This means submit your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head or lead of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body, his church. That's another word that we get, we get, we get, we get sideways on. He's a lead. What does that mean? Because in American culture and in Roman culture when this was written, leadership was about authority. It's the people that I could get to do things for me. And Jesus actually had a conversation about leadership with his disciples because they were having an argument over which one of them would be the most important in heaven. And Jesus said, the argument you're making comes from the position of those who are outside of faith. He said, for them, it's about who they're in control of. But for me, it's about who's willing to serve the most. And that's when Jesus famously said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Those who want to be greatest among you must be servant of the most. So leadership, according to Jesus, is not about authority. It's about responsibility. That's what leadership is. Leadership is taking responsibility for the welfare of the other person. That's what leadership is. And the Bible says, wives, you are to follow the example of your husband in doing that. Jesus never, look, so if, if, if the way women are to men is the way the church is to Jesus, and if we're gonna see in a minute the way men are to women is the way Jesus is to the church, then look at the way Jesus treated people. Did Jesus ever make anybody do anything against their will, yes or no? Yes or no? Did he ever force the disciples to do anything at all, yes or no? Did he make them do anything, yes or no? All he ever did was, follow me, and I will make you a, disciple, a fisher of men. All he said was, follow my example. That's what leadership is. Follow my example. Follow my example. Follow my example. That's what leadership is. Leadership is diving on the hand grenade so that everybody else can get out of the foxhole. That's leadership. It's not throwing somebody's body on the, on the hand grenade. Leadership is the first one out of the boat on the beaches in Normandy. It's not the one who's in the boat making everybody else get out. That's what leadership is. So women, according to the Bible, are to defer to their husbands by following their example. And some of you guys don't like your wives because she is treating you the way you treated her. Should we stay there a little bit longer? You're like, no, because now you're meddling. You're not preaching anymore. Stop reading my mail. Move on to somebody else's problem. Uh, as the church submits or defers to Christ, uh, verse 24, you wives should also submit or defer to your husbands and everything. Follow their example and everything. That's what it means. It means to defer. Okay, following your example, let's go. Follow, right? Here's what it means for guys. For husbands, verse 25, this means what means? Submitting to your wife, deferring to her. Means that you love your wives as Jesus loved the church. How did he love his church? He gave up his life for her. That's what it means to love. Love's not a feeling. Feelings come and go. Love is a conscious choice to put the needs of the other person first. So husbands, your deference is to love your wives like Christ loved the church when he gave up his life for her. That's what it means to love your wife. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? No, he said in the garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours will be done. He said to his father, Jesus himself gave his body as a living sacrifice. Right? So it's not what I want, it's what they need. So what it means for a husband to submit to his wife is that means he's willing to give up the stuff that he wants at least until he makes sure that she has everything she needs 
first. And if a husband is putting his wife's needs above his own, then the Bible says, wives, if your husband's doing that, you need to follow that example. Um, in one of those seasons where we weren't getting along, my pastor, who was also my dad, so it was really awkward, <laughs> was preaching in a Sunday night service, and me and Billy Jane were sitting next to each other to make everybody think that we still love each other. <laughs> but we just were not doing good. And he goes, who you married is a result of the way her parents raised her, but who you're married to today is a result of the way you've been treating her. I'm done with this sermon. I'm moving on for my sake right now. Um, as the scripture says, verse 31, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but all of this, your relationship sexually between men and women is a picture of Jesus in the church, he says. Um, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and each woman must respect her husband. And this is something that you give. It's not something that's taken or demanded. Like this, your marriage only works if you're willing to give this to the other person, even if they don't give it back. And by the way, dudes, you're more responsible to do that than she is. And if your husband's doing that, ladies, biblically, you're asked to follow that example and to do it too. And that's how your marriage begins to flourish. And that's how you get out of this slump. That's how you fix this. It's not about how she needs to change or about how he needs to change. It's how you need to change and how you need to change. But he says all of this is a picture. Like your sexuality is about more than just your sexual expression. Your sexuality is a picture of something. Guys, you are a picture of Jesus. Women, you are a picture of the church. So your sexuality is a representation of something much bigger than you. And it's personal to God. Because every dude created in his image is a picture of him. And every girl created in his image is a picture of his bride. That's all of us. Women, you're a picture of his bride. So what you do is a picture of what his wife does. That's very personal. So he says, you need to be careful with your sexuality. And this makes sense that if we're created in God's image, then we have the responsibility to reflect that image in every area of our life. My career, right, my work ethic, but especially my sexual expression because that, he says, is a picture of me or my wife, my bride, the church. This is consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would send prophets to the Jews that said, when you worship other, the gods of the other nations around you, you've committed adultery with me. He told Jeremiah, go tell the people they have committed adultery because I have married them. God gave us marriage. God gave us our sexual identity, our expression of our sexuality to reflect or to help us wrap our minds around the kind of relationship and intimacy that he wants to have with the body of his believers, with his people. So when a man has sex with a woman before they're married, it's a picture of Jesus not being pure and waiting for his bride. When a man steps out on his marriage and has sex with another woman, it's a picture of Jesus not being faithful to his bride. 
When a man lusts over another woman, it's a picture of Jesus being unsatisfied with his bride. When a man divorces his wife, it's a picture of Jesus abandoning his bride. And when a man has sex with another man, it's a picture of Jesus only loving himself. That's why God cares about your sexuality. If you're a woman, the same thing is true. If you're a woman and you have sex with another man before you're married, it's a picture of the church not being pure and waiting for Jesus. If a woman steps out on her marriage and has sex with another man, it's a picture of the church not, uh, not being faithful to Jesus. If a woman lusts over another man, it's a picture of the church not being satisfied with Jesus. If a woman divorces her husband, it pictures the church abandoning Jesus. And if a woman has sex with another woman, it's a picture of the church only loving herself. And all of us are guilty of one of these. Ain't no innocent people in the room. So what do we do with this? We do what we do every other area of our life where we do not conform to the image of Jesus. Jesus is the example. We confess, we admit, this is wrong in your eyes. And we repent. I'm sorry, and I will let this go to follow you. And every time we do that, slates wipe clean. That's grace. We just sing about it. So grateful for his grace. So it does. And that's why your sexuality matters. All right, big questions answered and what God says is right and wrong as it relates to sexuality. You asked some very specific questions that I'm gonna answer in a rapid fire way. Okay, uh, first question, oh, by the way, there have been, been two sexual revolutions in history. The first was in first century Rome. Uh, the second one is in 20th century America. Both of those cultures celebrated promiscuous women, excuse me, promiscuous men, but vilified promiscuous women. You ever notice that? Guys that sleep around are studs. Girl that sleeps around, I was going to say the word, but I feel like it'd be too vulgar in church. It's not a swear word. It's just really crude. I want to say it. Right? Both cultures did that. The first revolution happened by the Christians. And that called men to be as pure and chaste as the women were expected to be. And the second sexual revolution here in the West has told the women to be as promiscuous and as licentious as the men already are. The first one elevated the protection of women and children in a way that had not been done in human history and built 2,000 years of flourishing communities filled with flourishing and healthy families. But this second one has resulted in higher divorce, abortion, suicide, rape, sexual assault, abuse, depression, anxiety, and unwed pregnancies. I don't think this one's working for us. And that's because everything that God actually asked you to do really is for your own personal prosperity, health, and happiness. Uh, your sexuality is like fire. Everybody loves fire in a fireplace. It's cozy. It's warm. It brings light and life. The crackling of the fire is kind of cool. Well, sip your, you know, little grape juice <laughs> in front of the fire, right? And a cabin in New Hampshire is beautiful. In its boundaries, we all love fire. But when fire gets out of its boundaries, it brings fear, death, destruction, and chaos. Yes or no? Absolutely. Keep that fire in the fireplace. 
because we brought it out over, since the 60s, and it's burning everybody's house down. Some of y'all are on your third or fourth house already. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So what does this mean for singles? It's the same thing for both gay and straight. The default setting is Jesus for all of us. The default setting is always Jesus. He's the default setting. As a straight, single man, he was sexually abstinent. The default setting for a Christian is abstinence, period. The only outlet is if you choose to marry somebody of the opposite sex. If you don't choose to marry somebody of the opposite sex, gay or straight, your choice is the same as Jesus's, which is abstinence. That's the choice. I had a lady this week call me with some questions when we talked about transgender last week. Some of you guys are like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, go online. I think it'll be more life-giving than what, what you think. She calls and says, guys, I, I have some questions uh, because uh, her child is transgender. And uh, I do have her permission to share this. I told her I would not say her name. But it was a really healthy conversation. And, and she said, I just have some specific questions. So she shared. We talked uh, for about 45 minutes. And uh, she said, at the, toward the end, she said, I'm, I'm really sad. I said, why is this sad? Well, if what you're saying is true, then my child will never find love or happy relationships. Now, I knew that she had already been divorced. So I said, you're divorced, right? She said, yeah. I said, how long have you been divorced? Uh, 10 years. I said, and you're a follower of Jesus? She said, yes. I said, do you have love in your life? And she said, yeah. I said, are you having sex? No. And you have love? Crazy how that works, huh? I said, do you have healthy relationships? She goes, yeah. I said, are all your relationships? Well, not all of them. Most of them? Yeah. The most meaningful? Yeah, I'm good. And you're not sexually active? No. Wow. Okay. I said, do you need to have sex with your ex-husband to be happy? <laughs> That's what she did. <laughs> I said, so you mean you can have love and happiness and an awesome life and not be sexually active? And she goes, I just didn't think about it that way. I said, yeah, because we've all bought into the culture that you can't be fully you unless you're having sex with everyone. And that is ruining all of us. Oh my gosh. It's destroying us is what it's doing. Uh, that's because the sex isn't the meat and potatoes. It's pepper. It's oregano. It goes on the meat and potatoes, but it ain't the meat and potatoes. It's Parmesan on spaghetti, on lasagna. Like you have an awesome lasagna without Parmesan. Yes or no? Okay, but it ain't the lasagna, right? People who get married because sex is the thing, they get married for sex, are the people that what happens to them in two years? They got divorced, why? They thought the pepper was the steak. Does that work? Okay. Uh, what are the boundaries for dating? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? If you've got a King James Bible, it'll say, don't be unequally yoked. And I think this is probably some of the most practical advice God ever gives in the Bible. Don't look at it as restrictive. It's unbelievably healthy. Like if you are a right-wing, hardcore Republican, 
don't marry a hardcore left-wing Democrat. Right or no? Right? If, if you work for a fracking company, don't date a girl who works for the EPA. Are you with me? That doesn't make any sense. Like, you've, like the most important thing to have in common is not your musical tastes. It's your core values. The three or four things you would take a bullet for, that's what you look for in a spouse. So if you're not a Christian, don't marry a Christian. You will be miserable married to that Christian, especially if they're a real Christian. And if you're a Christian, don't marry a non-Christian. You're going to be miserable. You get what I'm saying? Um, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be ab- absolutely miserable if you do that. But my wife and I, in one of those, uh, no, it wasn't actually a bad season. It was when um, uh, for, we were married for four years without kids, and then we had 26 years of kids. And then Ryan's a senior, and then she's realizing Sean doesn't like any of my music. And that's because she likes country. Even Jesus doesn't like that. <laughs> she watches Hallmark. I think that's cursed by the devil. <laughs> Thank you. Young, hey, she's saying, defer, defer. <laughs> defer right now, you best defer. Remember, deferment can't be taken, it must be given. Submission can't be taken, right? Um, where was I going with that? Oh, so she asked, our, so, so we don't actually have any interests in common. Uh, when we go on vacation, I'm like renting the bikes. We, we went, we, for our anniversary, we went, we went to Barcelona this summer. And it's a great city by bicycle. You can get everywhere in 10 minutes on a bicycle. My wife wrecked five times <laughs> out of six bicycle trips. She was drunk all five times. <laughs> she was not, I'm just kidding. I'm saying, what she wants to do is just go lay on a beach for six days. And I'm like, skydiving, parasailing, jeeping, and right? That's, that's me. So she's like, you drive, you just need to settle down. Right? Uh, but what makes our marriage work is our core values are exactly the same. Our core values are exactly the same. So you're going to marry somebody you date, so only date somebody you would marry. Somebody needs to write that down. I made that up, so when you tweet it, do at Sean Sears. I got another one for you. Ready? Date smart or marry stupid. There's a pun in there, because he's, if you don't date smart, you're going to end up marrying Mr. Stupid. All right? Uh, what about how, far, how many bases can we get to if we're, uh, before we're married? First Timothy 5. I took too much time making the jokes and stuff. That's what happens when I teach live, as I feed off of you. Don't laugh at nothing anymore. <laughs> First Timothy 5, 1 and 2, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would a father, to younger men as you would your brother, older women as you would your mother, treat younger women, then he adds three words. What three words does he add? With all purity as you would your sister. Paul is a single man who's already said, I'm devoting the rest of my life to just following after the ways of Jesus. I'm not going to be married. Timothy is a young single man. He hasn't made that choice yet. So Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, now listen, I need you to give you advice. Well, the older men, treat them like a dad, not like your dad, but give them respect like somebody should give a father. And then the younger guys your age, treat them like brothers. The older women, treat them like mothers. And he could have just said, and the younger women, treat them like sisters. But he meant more than that, which is why for the younger women, he said, with all purity. You know what he's doing? He's going, 
Naamin. That's Paul's version of Naamin. With all purity, Naamin. All right, so the boundary is sisters. Some of you guys are like, I don't like where this is going. Hang on. Could you hold your sister's hand, yes or no? Yeah, not that you would, but could you? Could you give your sister a kiss, yes or no? Yeah, you could. I'm not saying that you would, but you could. Would you make out with your sister in the basement while watching Netflix? And some of you just threw up in your mouth a little bit. It's because that's too far. Anything that you could, Paul said to Timothy, anything you would not do with an actual sister, you should not do until you're married. That's the boundary. That's the boundary. What if we're engaged? Are you married? Same rules apply. In fact, psychology today says that couples who move in together are more than two times more likely to get a divorce. Why? Because God's boundaries actually work. What about divorce? In the Old Testament, there are two distinct words that are both translated into English. One of those is in Malachi chapter two where it says, for I hate divorce. The actual word there is putting away and it's different from divorce, but in English, they're both translated the same. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart, do not be unfaithful to your wife. Where he says, do not put away your wife. Now, back then, everybody knows that all of the laws favored the men. Women had no rights, couldn't own property, couldn't start businesses, any of that. So if a guy became unhappy with his wife, he could put her away. The problem with that is that she wasn't free to do anything else because she was still married to him, so she would either become a beggar or a prostitute, and God says, I hate that. Don't do that. I hate it. I hate you hurting her. So Deuteronomy chapter 24 says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him, and he brings up all the reasons why other men would maybe put away their wives, just kick them out, because that was common in early human history. That was common. Scripture says, uh, having discovered something wrong, he writes, he should write a, a, a document of divorce, hand it to her, and send her away from your home. You have to give her a letter of divorcement. Why? So now she's free. She can get married again and start another family. It gives her options. She doesn't become destitute. You can't send her away. I hate that. If you're going to send her away, give her a letter, set her free. Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5 and says, you've heard the law that says that a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman like that is also committed adultery. So Jesus says the default setting is reconciliation. The only time you would have an out if you're a Christian is if they cheated. If they committed adultery then that can be your irreconcilable difference if they committed adultery. But most of, and by the way, uh, unlike common misperception, uh, women, I think it's like 0.1% higher chance of committing adultery than men in a marriage. Uh, so we're doing this to each other pretty much almost exactly equally. And most of the Christian men or women that have been cheated on uh, when their spouse, if their spouse was truly repentant, actually stayed married with them. And I think that's a beautiful demonstration of grace and mercy that we get from God, who we cheat on all the time, and he still forgives and accepts us and works on his relation, our relationship with him. I think it's beautiful. But you don't have to do that. The second reason for divorce is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. What's the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving? Then let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. If the other person just won't have it, you're free. But you, as a follower of Jesus, as the Christian in the relationship, 
Your goal is always reconciliation. It's always reconciliation. It's always reconciliation. But I can't reconcile with somebody who doesn't want to reconcile with me. I can't force her to stay married to me. So if she leaves me, and as far as it is within my ability, I've tried to keep this marriage, and she leaves anyway, then I am free. As far as I can, right? But if their choice, and every time the Bible allows for divorce, it also allows for remarriage. If you're already divorced and remarried, and I don't, listen, Again, raise your hand if you've sinned against God sexually. Every hand goes up. Okay. You do the same thing you do every other time you sin. You confess and admit that we're wrong and that God's ways are better. And then we repent, which means that we just bring the life that we have now under his submission. What if I'm married to another person? Then make this marriage work. Make this one work. You can't undo the past but you can fix where you're at now. Make this work. I have more to say, but we're out of time. And so like the rest of my notes is gonna be added to your life group this week. So that's gonna be fun. Um, be kind. Like in your conversations, allow, allow each other to disagree. Be gracious. Peter says, give an answer that comes from scripture with gentleness and respect. And so if your conversation or whatever you're about to say isn't going to be received with gentleness and respect in the name of Jesus, keep your mouth shut. Right? Where we, keep, we, all, we all need grace in, in this area. Uh, everybody here is guilty of sexual sin and in need of reconciliation with God at the least and maybe even reconciliation with others. Additionally, all of us need to put boundaries in our sexuality that please God so that we can continue to give our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which he finds holy and acceptable. And remember that the fire is best in the fireplace. And in all other respects, I am fully yielded to God. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for everything that you've done in my life and for the number of times that you've forgiven me when I have sinned against you. Help me, dear God, to give my body to you as a living and holy sacrifice, which I know you see as acceptable and is my truest and greatest expression of worship. For those, God, here who are single, they actually can even more identify with you, Jesus, and your singleness, who chose to offer your body as a living sacrifice to your heavenly Father. But even when we're married, we do this. All of us need to control ourselves. What's right is what you say, not what we feel. God, I belong to you. Let everything that I do please you. And when it doesn't, convict me in my heart and then forgive me when I repent. That's my prayer. I ask this in Jesus' name and we all say together, amen.